in our heart, in our mind, purifying our minds of attachment, aversion, delusion, so that we may live a more wholesome, beneficial, compassionate, wise life in the world and be more of a benefactor to others than a burden to the extent that we come to understand our own hearts and minds. We can understand the hearts and minds of others and we won't be causing them harm or distress and may even be able to help them with theirs. So in this way, we, through our practice here, are offering a great gift to the world and all that we share life with. The Buddha said of the practice of the Dhamma, he said, the gift of the Dhamma is the greatest form of giving. So to the extent that you give yourself to the Dhamma to realize it, then you're really making a tremendous offering to others that we share life with. And it is traditional in this practice to share the merit or the benefit of the work that we've done today, especially with our parents or other primary caregivers, whether they're living or deceased, because without them we wouldn't have this opportunity to hear and to practice the Dharma. So may they share in the merit of our work today. And also all of our extended family members, partners and children, aunties, uncles, nephews, nieces, cousins, brothers, sisters, grandmother, grandfather, and all of our kin that are not yet born, but will be. May they too share in the merit of the work that we've done today and all of our Dharma companions, those of us who are here and the staff, along with anyone else you've ever practiced the Dharma with, may all of them too share in the merit of the work we've done today. And then neighbors, co-workers, employers, employees, benefactors, mentors, teachers, strangers, the homeless living nearest you, May all of these beings share in the merit of the work we've done today and may this work be the cause and condition for all beings everywhere to learn how to live in harmony, to live with awareness and to be free. Anicca vata sankara upaduvaya domino upakituva niruchanti te sam upasamo sukho begin the chanting of the refuges and precepts, we chant the refuges, taking refuge in the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha. And sometimes in the, in the, you know, kind of the repetition and in the foreign language of it all, we kind of go through the, the refuges and it's, it's kind of sing-songy, but 
we don't have any meaning or value to it. And sometimes we just really forget what it's all about or don't even really think about it. And that's the way it was for me for a long time in the early years of practice. And then when I went to Burma to uh, practice, to ordain in practice, I went, I went because I really wanted to know what the practice could do. I didn't feel like I had really seen the benefit of practice, even though I'd been practicing for about eight years. I just didn't feel like I'd got it. So I went and I wanted to live in a Buddhist country. I wanted to ordain and live as a monk and I wanted to practice intensive meditation until I didn't want to do it anymore. I thought it might take a year. <laughs> anyway, uh, I went to this monastery and every morning, uh, the schedule is wake up at three, um, clean up, have a sitting before breakfast, which is at 5.30. And every morning um, in the last sitting before breakfast or in the sitting before breakfast, at the end of the sitting, the different uh, meditators would chant the refuge's precepts and, and a little bit of the metta, loving kindness practice. So at you know, 5.30 or 5 o'clock, 5.15, I would get out of the meditation hall and I'd go stand beside my teacher's cottage and wait for the gong to ring for breakfast. And while I was waiting there, because you, know, you can only go to breakfast when by the natural light of the day, you can see the lines on your hand. That's, that's the monk's rules. Uh, they can't go out of the monastery before they can see the lines on their hand by the daylight. Uh, so they're not walking around in the dark in neighborhoods. So when it got that light and you could see, then they would call you to breakfast. But before breakfast, the uh, women's meditation hall up at the top of the hill, nearest the meditations, nearest the dining room, they would do their chanting. They would be the first group to start their chanting. And this meditation hall could handle 12, 1,500, maybe 1,800 women. Huge meditation hall. And sometimes there were that many. Now, Burmese women are really, really devout. When they chant the refuges and precepts, they, are re they really put their hearts into it. They're like soul singers. They're really, really loud and very energetic and very sincere. And so I'd hear them chanting, start chanting. And it would just make your hair stand up on end. Because it's so powerful, you know. And I realized that, you know, they, they have this sincere uh, appreciation for the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha in a way that it's their whole life. And I realized that I too, being there, had that same uh, aspiration or uh, relationship. And realized that they're not so different than me. You know, they may be more devout, but uh, I was doing my best to also learn how to take the Buddha and the Dharma and the Sangha as a refuge. So they would start chanting and they'd be into their chanting for <clears throat> a minute or two and, and then there was another meditation hall a little bit further down the hill and it was a two-story meditation hall for women and there were 500 on each floor. And so one floor would start and they'd be into it a little bit and then the other floor would start and they'd be into it. So there'd be a couple thousand people that are totally out of sync but <laughs> they're totally out of sync, but they're all chanting. It's loud, and uh, it's, it's really interesting. Then further down the hill, before 
between that hall and where I was is a men's hall, and that could hold maybe 800 or 1,000 men. So they would be they would do their chanting too. And below me was another meditation hall for uh, Burmese men. And so sometimes there'd be two, three thousand, four thousand, five thousand people sometimes chanting, you know, uh, the refuges and precepts and loving kindness before breakfast. So it was very moving and very. Mm, you really felt like you belonged there. Like everybody was really into the same thing, so to speak. Then um, on the first weekend of December each year, they would have a festival in honor of the founder of that monastery, Mahasi Sayadaw. And people from all over Burma would come, but mostly the, all the elder monks and elder nuns in the teaching positions within the tradition. And there were many Mahasi meditation centers throughout Burma, three, four, five hundred. So they would come to Rangoon for four, five, six days, and they would all bring a retinue of, you know, uh, supporters and devotees and stuff like that. So there would be a huge influx of people at the monastery then. And in the morning when there was time for breakfast, <clears throat> uh, because there was so many very revered and uh, respected monks there, they would all have to line up to go to breakfast. And whenever monks do anything together, they always, the, the one who's been the monk the longest gets to go first. And they measure their length of monkhood by how many annual three-month retreats they've done. So every year there's a three-month retreat called a wasa. So depending on how many vasa you have, you could go in the line. So at you know, 5.30 when they would hear the, the, the gong, it's a big wooden log that bangs against another wooden log that's been hollowed out uh, up on the hill, and they would hear the gong. And then one of the monks that helps run the monastery in Rangoon would step out into the roadway, and he would say, you know, 65 wasa, meaning anybody who's been a monk for 65 years. And you've got to be 20 when you can ordain, so he had to be at least 85 years old. can go to breakfast. And there might be one <laughs> kind of comes with a cane or somebody helping him walk up, up the hill. And then 64 wasa, and it might be another one, 63, 62, and the different monks, depending on their elder years, they would get in the, walk out to the road, get in the line and walk up the hill. And uh, in the far range reaches at the 65 wasa range and not too many. But when they get down to, you know, 40 wasa, where the monks are only 60 years old, or 50, 50 or 60 years old, 30, 40 wasa, then they'd be, you know, a dozen at a time. So they'd call 50, uh, I mean, uh, 30 wasa, and there'd be a lot of monks, just a whole flock of them getting in the line and going. And... Um, when they would get, and only monks who had at least 10 wasa were allowed to be there, Burmese monks, there were 10 wasa that were allowed to be there because there's so many of them, the younger monks that were part of this tradition. So they would get down to 10 wasa and then they would say, the rest. And that was me, I had one wasa, two wasa, <laughs> three wasa. 
And then when I would get in line, you know, I would look ahead of me and I'd be the last one or the next to the last. Maybe there'd be a couple other young uh, foreigners that were less than me, but not too many. And I would look at this line, this long line of monks going up the hill. The nuns were going in another dining room over on the other side. You know, they had their way of lining up and going in. But I was just monks in this line. Long line of monks going up the hill around the women's meditation center that hall into the dining room. And I would step out into the, the roadway and follow behind the, the last monk, the last Burmese monk. And I would look up, see them all going up there. And I, and I would think somewhere at the head of the line, out of sight, is the Buddha. Because the Buddha, you know, practiced and realized the truth. And then he told, you know, the five monks, the five ascetics that he practiced with, and they got enlightened, and they went out and told others and others. And it's been handed down by monks for 25, 2600 years now. And it's all the same thing. You know, it's like they, they hear the teachings and they practice, they realize, and then they share that understanding and the instruction with someone who doesn't yet understand it. And that's the way it's been going for all that time, from monk to monk, by hearing it from one monk and practicing and with guidance and encouragement until you understand yourself. And then uh, they can pass it on. And I always used to think, Oh, up there, somewhere, just out of sight, is the Buddha. Long line, but the Buddha's up there. And now, I'm the last one. And it used to feel like I was the last one, because I was at times. But now, I know I'm not the last one. Because I've told you everything I know. <laughs> now, you may not think you're in the line, but you are. Because... Now you hear the teachings, and you have encouragement to practice, and you have this wonderful opportunity to practice here and elsewhere in the States. And to the extent that you practice and realize the teachings, you have something of value to hand off to the next generation. It doesn't stop with us. It didn't stop with the first generation of monks, or the second, or the third, or even in Burma. It didn't stop. It's here in the States, and elsewhere in the world, and it's our responsibility, it's our obligation, really, to hear these teachings, to practice, and to realize them, because there are, as I've mentioned, untold generations of beings yet to be born who will want to hear these teachings. And if no one has practiced, if the chain of uh, teaching and learning and realization has been broken, then the teachings of the Buddha won't be available to them. Maybe in the books, but that's not where the practice takes place. So it actually has to be people that practice and then be able to share their teachings, their understanding with others and inspire and encourage them to practice. And even though it may seem like a daunting task, it is, <laughs> it is. But everybody has the potential. And to the extent that you practice, you can then share your uh, understanding with others, and you never know who is going to have a real flame in their heart to uh, hear and practice and realize the Dharma. So you always want to be a good representative of the Dharma by
practicing sincerely and speaking of the Dharma in a respectful way and sharing it with those who sincerely uh, wish to hear about the teachings of the Buddha. Thank you.